Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. All right, so for those of you who've been with us and listening since uh, the fall, we had a a little Halloween episode, and um, in that episode I said I do love to dress up for Halloween, and I really love costumes, especially DIY costumes. Um, So a couple years back, I was super pregnant, um, and I wanted to create a costume that took my belly into account, and so I created a kangaroo costume, like made it myself, like full on makeup, the ears, all of that. And then I made a little pouch and I put a stuffed baby Joey in the pouch. I thought it was pretty adorable and I thought it was fun and I had fun with it. (laughs) I love the term too, super pregnant, not very pregnant, super pregnant. Uh, Uh, Yes. No, that's a fun idea. That that is good. And uh, you definitely beat me because you know that I am not, not by choice. Like I don't specifically anti-costume. I'm just not as creative as you. That's what I'll say. I'm not as creative. So I don't have as good of a story. I'm going to get you in a costume for this Halloween. So (laughs) that's going to be my goal. (laughs) Um, And so the reason why we bring this up is because we hung out with Laura Palmer, who's the VP of sales at Unity Technologies this week. And in the intro, as you guys will hear, she's dressed up as a full-blown unicorn. And I mean full blown because she sent us a photo afterwards and it's literally a blow up costume. It's like five or six feet tall, two or three feet around. And I think a couple of her colleagues actually did it too in leadership. Mm So um, you can tell in the first few minutes of hanging out with Laura, she likes to have fun and is really cool. And um, we got into some really interesting topics as well, specifically how to win deals as an underdog. And how do you use social proof to do so? And it was cool because she shared a way of using social proof that I had never really done or heard of before. Yeah, exactly. There were some tips that we even took away from that of like, oh, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. We should consider that. Yeah, I'm definitely going to share it with some of the salespeople at Gong and maybe make it a kind of a full add into the sales process because it was was really interesting. So uh, let's go ahead and dive into our interview with Laura. Thank you so much for making some time. At the time of recording this, we're about seven business days away from end of quarter. So hopefully this is a nice break for you before the, uh, the chaos and the excitement. Yes, the chaos and the excitement never end, but it is a great break for me. Good, good. We're, we're happy to deliver that. And we'd like to start with a couple icebreaker questions. So I'm curious if you have any advice for a productive work from home setup. Everyone kind of has their own their own vibe going on. I'm wondering if you have anything that's yeah. been working for you. Okay, so I'm very lucky to have my own office. And I realize that that is a, a luxury at this point. But what I recommend, what, what are we... 10 weeks in, 12 weeks into this, is actually get out of your home office. So um, one of the things that I've been doing with my team recently is if they need to show me something during a one-on-one, they let me know before the one-on-one. And if not, I'm typically walking my neighborhood with my headphones in. And it's a great way to have a really personal conversation and stay really engaged with the team. 
without get it, having Zoom fatigue, which I know we all have. And I'm, I love Zoom, but I'm also so over it. So my thing is get out of your office. That's the best way to create a great work office environment. As silly as that sounds. That is not silly at all. It, we call it the walk and talk. <laughs> the walk uh, and talk. Yes. I do the Thank walk God and talk. The walk and talk. Yeah. And I just ask people, I was like, hey, is it okay with you? If, uh, you know, I'll give them a little slack ahead of time. If it's okay with you, I'm going to walk. You might hear the dog in the background. You might hear some, yeah. you know, some cars passing, but you have, you know, all of my attention that I can give you. Sheena does this constantly. I'm usually seeing the, uh, the wind in her hair as she, she walks with her camera on. She's very, she's very into the walk and talk. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like a Bollywood movie, like the, you know, the wind blowing my hair back. So I try to imagine that's what's happening when I'm really just in a really windy wind tunnel in San Francisco. <laughs> hey, you do what you got to do. If there's a little wind, that's fine, which there has been in the Bay Area for the last few weeks. But it's still it is still worth it. That's for sure. The the other idea that um, I had a big global team meeting this morning and I suggested I'm like, I think we're there, you guys like call your customer and see if you can deliver lunch to their house. Perhaps you could sit with them in the backyard and eat lunch. And if not, just go be a delivery service, get out of your house, right? And your customer's ready to get out of their house too. do it safely, do it within, you know, whatever regulations are going on in your country and your area. But I, I think it's time to just try again um, in whatever way we can to connect and people are hungry for human connection. So we want to do it safely, but I, I told everybody to go spend some money and go buy their customers lunch one way or another. So that that's our that's our newest thing we're doing this week. You know, even if they don't let you in the backyard to hang out, that's just a really nice thing to do. And, and right? you know, you're definitely going to earn some kudos. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it, so long as it's genuine, which which I really believe we've got some phenomenal, genuine relationships with our customers here at Unity. So, and it's a little fun too. We could all use a little fun. So I was, uh, you know, you had an article on LinkedIn about how your kids are playing video games all day long. And that reminded me of my kids who are uh, four and seven, and they just played their first video game ever, uh, which was a Harry Potter game on PlayStation, and they were uh, mesmerized. <laughs> so I was remembering that with your article, uh, but yeah. curious what you're doing outside of work to keep uh, yourself and your family busy. Well, I shared this on a, on a, at another event that I was a part of last week, but th so this is, I, I'm like, um, yin and yang. So I exercise a ton. I know all the great videos. I highly recommend certain like Peloton videos. I don't have a Peloton, but I just do the videos. So I, I recommend that. But on, on the other side of things, my son got pulled out of college. He's a freshman at UCLA. He came home and him and a couple of his friends built a beer pong table. So very sadly, I am learning to become very good um, at various quarter games played on this beer pong table. So that's that's my yin and yang. Um, I'm addicted to Below Deck. I'm addicted to Schitt's Creek. And all right, this is another sad thing about me, and I'll probably lose every ounce of respect from anyone listening to this podcast. But a bunch of my girlfriends and I, for some reason, I don't know what came over us. We, we decided to invest in, and yes, I use the word invest, in um, giant blow-up unicorn costumes um, we just felt that if we owned six of these, we could use them for various social events and maybe walk along the streets of the town we live in. So um, I've been in that costume twice and both times have gone really well. So for those of you that are really looking for a way to stir it up, I recommend the inflatable unicorn costumes. You can get them all over the internet and they just bring joy to people's lives. So that's what I've been up to. You said that, that you're going amazing. to... Yeah, sorry, sorry to talk over you, Sheena. I was going to say... 
you said that you're going to lose credibility and respect for that, but I think you just gained quite a bit of it because now I'm imagining you in a blow up costume, which I don't know how large it is. I haven't seen it, but I imagine it's large. It's it's large. large. Maybe it keeps you socially safe though, right? If it's so large, people can't get too close to you. So it's actually kind of like a social distancing tool. It is social distancing. It it absolutely is. And it's a, it's battery blow up. I mean, this thing is, this is no (laughs) joke. So I was thinking if my team hits their, goal for the quarter i might have to uh put it on and i don't know they might have to give me some sort of a challenge but i'm i'm never i'm never uh too proud to go make some fun of myself and i guess that's how bored we all are but yeah <laughs> i, I well, do tell have to people. send a photo sorry you, you, you want to say that again? i will i'll send you i'll send you guys a photo uh, we may or may not have a photo of our CMO in a unicorn onesie. So I don't know. Maybe, okay. maybe great leaders are, are rocking the uniform outfit these days. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> well, that is, I could honestly spend the whole hour there, but I will move on towards <laughs> a little bit of your, your personal background. Yes. And so you started out in inside sales at SGI. Yep. Then you spent eight years at Google and then you moved over to Unity Technologies. Can you tell us a little bit about your career trajectory and like what you learned along the way? And I'm, I'm sure you learned a lot. So maybe come of the, the highlights or the things you think that really, you know, those X factor moments. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've been at large companies and small companies and um, man, you get something out of everywhere that you go. A, a couple of things. First of all, I, I feel so lucky to have found a job when I was really young that felt like a natural fit to me. So I always tell people, if, if you like sales, it's the best job in the world. If you don't like sales, it's the worst job in the world. So I don't know if that makes sense to you guys, yeah. but um, I, I really do feel like that. And um, I, I've spent years enjoying the fact that it feels natural to me, but also honing my skills. So um, yes, I started out inside sales, even like an SDR role, right? I supported a field rep. So I, I always tell my team, I've done every job my team has done, right? I've walked in their shoes. And if you come at it from a, a desire to learn and a desire to get better, you're going to be successful. Um, early in my career, it was kind of felt like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a natural at this. But, but what I learned along the way is if you invest in training and you take the training seriously, what you will find is you're not getting lucky as a sales rep and you are actually doing something that is, is repeatable. There's a process behind it. And the better you become, the more successful you'll be. Right. So um, that's what I've learned along the way. Like take the training pieces of it seriously. It really, really will have an impact even for people that consider themselves the most natural sellers in the world. Uh, Maybe some sellers themselves, but I think a lot of people that look at salespeople think that it is a natural skill right? You either have it or you don't, which like you said, I think it's true. I think some people are, you know, have those skills a little more naturally, but like you said, it's, it's just like any other career. You really have to put the work in to get better at it. And I could not agree with you more that if you do not enjoy sales, it will be the worst time of your life. It will, it will be awful. Yeah. <laughs> it will not feel good. It will not feel good. Yeah. And, I, and then I, it, when I was at Google, I got, I got to a point where I felt like I had something to teach and um, I've worked for some fantastic leaders and I've worked for some not so fantastic leaders. And um, so to me, that desire to go into a leadership position really came from a place of feeling like, like I had something to teach and could help other people be really good at this. Um, And, you know, like I've said, I've always loved sales, but what I found was I love leadership and there's a whole skill 
in that. And um, I take that very seriously. And I, I try to better myself when, whenever I can. Google invest is, invests heavily in their leadership team, um, Unity as well. So I'm always looking to learn and, and keep that aspect of it with me, right? If, I'm, if I go into this with this desire to learn, I will continue to get better and that will help other people out as well. When you went through that initial transition of being um, an individual contributor to a manager and now people are looking up to you, uh, what were some of the things that you did to better yourself for that position? Um, were there specific courses? Was it just talking to other leaders? Were there other things that you did um, to help set yourself up? Yeah, it was interesting because um, I, I think it's really challenging to move into a leadership role at the same company where you've been an individual contributor, especially if suddenly people who were your peers are now your, you know, report up through you. So that's, it, it's an interesting time. And that did happen to me, although I, did, I got to build the majority of my first team at Google, which was great. Um, there were a number of leadership classes that I signed up for and um, spent time spent time going through. I also took a lot of time to develop mentors with other people. Um, I think it's great to have a, a fantastic boss that you can call on, but I also believe it's really important once you move into a leadership role to invest in relationships that aren't who you directly report to, to have people out there that you can ask for advice and for help and run things past. So that was something that I definitely did. The, the second piece of it and what I give all new managers on my team, the advice I give them is um, you've got to learn to step back. And it's really hard, especially if you've been really successful in sales. It's very easy to continue to step in and either save somebody or move somebody to the side because you feel like you can get it done more effectively and you can't do that. And that's one of the hardest things I believe for new for new leaders to learn. Yeah, I think giving that space to grow um, is, is so critical and people may make mistakes along the way, um, but you're there to, to provide guidance and course correct and help them look back and figure out a new way forward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it takes time. It takes time yeah. to learn how to do that. It's a different skill set. So tell us a little bit more about Unity Technologies. Um, you know, first off, for those who may not know what the company does, if you could give us a little bit of overview there and then how the current environment has impacted the company and the business and what your thoughts are on that. So at Unity, we believe the world is a better place with more creators in it. If you've got a mobile phone with a video game, chances are you've got Unity. Um, we've been around for about 15 years and we've got a platform that's called a real-time 3D platform. So we believe content that, that people consume is moving from static and 2D into interactive and 3D. Um, we're best known for this platform where people build video games, but people are building all kinds of things on our platform, virtual reality applications, augmented reality applications. Um, they're designing cars inside of our, inside of our technology. Um, so there's, there's all kinds of things going on. It's a really interesting business to be in. I, I think the fact that people are at home, not just playing video games, but, but digesting content, um, only makes our technology that much more relevant. So when you think about what retailers are doing and the fact that very few people are going into stores, how you buy things online is going to change and it's going to change very quickly now. So instead of looking at something you're going to buy in 2D, to be able to look at it in 3D, that changes the game. So I, I think the, there are many industries that are very ripe for disruption 
when it comes to um, to leveraging this real-time 3D technology. I haven't been a gamer for a while. I think the last <laughs> one I had was a, it was a GameCube, for anyone who's familiar. Um, <laughs> but whenever you say VR, I always think of the, the funny clips you see where someone's got the goggles on, and they're like, yeah. you know, they're walking toward, and they accidentally, like, you know, they're boxing, and they accidentally punch through their television. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you have anything to do with those clips, uh, thank you. Those are just uh, hilarious <laughs> to watch. <laughs> but the other thing you said was the way that people are consuming content. Mm-hmm. And I've thought about that too. The there's the in-store version, or you know, right. now it's virtual. My other thought, and I don't know if this is on your guys's radar or not at all, but my thought was as COVID has happened in virtual or um, in-person events has become virtual. I almost wonder if there will be like a VR version of like a conference, like a sales conference, where you almost get like a virtual keynote. Absolutely, there will. And in some of these video games, right, they are hosting virtual virtual concerts. Right. So it's kind of starting out, right, with these consumer type of examples. And I absolutely believe that that is where things are going, right? And and COVID's definitely a piece of it, right? And and how it, it, but I think it's just sort of the thing that's going to push it to the next level. Yeah. I'm getting a good idea of what it's like to work with you. Unicorn outfits and VR and, and the future of content creation. This is, this is really interesting stuff. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. So let's, let's fast forward. I want to get into a little bit of your, your specific expertise. And I know competition and market share are always something that's top of mind. But given your expertise, both as a sales leader and an individual contributor, I'm curious what your experience is like uh, for selling and winning deals, specifically as an underdog. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's funny because this really goes back to my time at Google, which no one really associates Google with being an underdog. But I was I joined the company back in 2010 in the what we called the, at the time the Google Enterprise Organization, and we were selling what is now known as G Suite or Google Apps and competing with Microsoft and. Um, this was also at a time when no one was putting anything in a cloud, right? So this was back in the day. Um, and so people always kind of, yeah, oh, Google underdog. But, but we really were, and we were competing against a fierce competitor. And what I learned during that time is you cannot outmarket. You will not outspend. You've got to be smarter than the competition, And I believe the way you do that is really, really listening to what's going on with your customer and finding a way in which your product or service adds really unique value to what your customer is struggling with. Um, I'll give another Unity example. We've got a cloud organization. We've got a number of products that we've acquired, um, some of which give voice chat to some of those video games. So for any of you out there that have teenagers at home and you hear them yelling at their friends, you're welcome. But at least they're communicating, right, with their friends. Um, That's part of what we offer. Um, The other part of what we offer is actually an an infrastructure, a, a cloud service that allows you to run the game, but take advantage of both cloud from an Amazon or a Google or a Microsoft and bare metal. Right. So, so the unique thing that we do is we, we say we speak games. Right. So, yes, we're we um, 
offer an infrastructure in the background, run your game. There are lots of people that do that, but we do it very unique for what a gaming company needs, right? When people are playing games, there are times when usage is way, way up and there are times when it comes down and we have an orchestration layer that helps you optimize that, right? So if you were to look at first glance, it may look like everything's the same, but we've found this one area that our customers in particular really, really care about and, and, and we focused in on it. So I, I think that's how you win as an underdog. You find something unique that you bring to the table. You really listen to your customer. Um, and, and that's how you begin to, to earn their trust, um, which is really important when you're an underdog, right? It's always easier to go with the big guys, but ultimately people like to work with people they trust, people they feel have their back. One of the things that I wanted to dig into and what you just said was about listening to the voice of the customer and really understanding the value, unique value that you offer them. What are your perspectives on the best ways to understand what matters to the customer? So for example, is this something that sales can have the best ear towards and then share that information more broadly across the organization? Is it more marketing, understanding those use cases? Is it top down? Like, What are your perspectives on that? It's such a great question, Sheena, because um, I, I believe salespeople are the orchestra conductor, right? But it, when, you're, when you're really good at your, your craft, you know how to leverage other resources that, to your point, may have even a more trusting relationship with your customer. Um, one very specific use case would be at Google, we called them technical account managers. At Unity, we call them um, developer relations managers. Those are the people that are in after the sale, helping to ensure that the customer's optimizing the technology. And they're there on the, on the ground floor with the customer day in and day out oftentimes. Um, I, I think they're a really important, especially if you do a lot of upsell, cross-sells to your customers, those people are really, really important to leverage. On the marketing side, I, I think it's, it's taking feedback that you're getting from both sales, sales engineering, as well as your customer success, DRM, TAM teams, and bringing that back into the messaging so that you can have a very, very targeted, thoughtful campaign. Um, I believe all those things working together is how you gain the most confidence. I like that. It's a, it's a team, uh, a concerted team effort. That's Absolutely. supremely cross-functional. <laughs> yes, yes. So the current environment is making it more important for startups, especially those underdogs that we talked about, to really differentiate themselves. Mm -hmm. I believe it's more likely that a, a customer may go to the larger company, the more well-known brand, um, yeah. just because of they're more risk-averse in this environment. Yeah. What are your perspectives on that, and how can you stand out as an underdog in today's climate? I'll be totally honest, Sheena. That's a, it's a really tough one. And um, years ago, this was post SGI and, and pre HP and, and Google, I spent time at a company called Evolve Software. It was so fun. We were in the city and um, it was the number one question we got asked. How do we know you're going to be around, right? However many years from now. And I remember when I, when I landed at HP in, in working for a large company, I didn't get asked that question anymore. I was like, oh, thank God, right? Like that's a hard question to answer. Um, I don't, I don't have a quick, like fast tip to help get through that. One of the, one of the beliefs that I do have though, is that leveraging existing customers to help sell for you is very effective. 
people don't want to be the first. And oftentimes when you are a startup, you're the smaller company, people are fearing that they are the first. So if you have other customers take, you know, that are, that are in your ecosystem, take really good care of them and leverage them as appropriate to help you sell and help build that confidence. I, I think that is, that's one of the ways you can get over that. I'm a big fan of social proof, but social proof can take a lot of different forms. So I'm curious, Laura, if you guys had to go to things like, I mean, it could be as simple as logos, you know, mm-hmm. reference calls, mid, you know, mid, uh, mid evaluation, uh, case studies. Was there anything specifically that you guys use or something that maybe you use now that you find really helpful and impactful? All of, all of the above, but um, one, of the, one of the things that we did at Google, we brought those references in really early in the sales cycle. And the way that we did this was we said, you know, I'd like you to talk to your peer over at company XYZ, and I'd like you to do it now because I think it would be really valuable for you to understand how they went through this entire process with us. And I don't believe it's a one-time conversation. I actually think you know, as we go through this, you're going to want to reference and talk to that individual multiple times. So starting that early and bringing it, you know, positioning it as a relationship, it's not the reference call you do right before you make the purchase. That's the little nuance that I think made a huge difference for us. Okay. That's really, that's really interesting. Um, myself included, I know a lot of sellers, I think they only do the last one you talked about. Right. Which is someone's right. like, you've, you've got the proposal and you maybe have red lines and they're, you know, but before we buy, let me talk to someone who's happy. Yeah. For the folks who might be listening and wanting to do this as well. How do you go about identifying the right folks? Because I also imagine it's kind of like, you know, if I'm a sales rep, how many times can I ask Laura to do this? Right. If you, you know, saying you're, you're going to be my reference call. Right. So I'm curious if you have any maybe advice for either identifying who these, you know, kind of super champions of your product are, uh, or maybe just a way to do it at scale. Well, I do believe that there are there are industry leaders that like to do it, right? So it helps them stay um, on the forefront in in their industry as well. So that's important to recognize. Um, it, remember, if if somebody's an early adopter of your product, they've made an investment, they've taken a risk in going with you. The best way for them to mitigate that risk is to have other customers come on board right? So it's not only good for you to build your business, but it's also good for customers that have made an investment with you. You can do things like write it into a contract. Hey, I'll give you a certain discount in exchange for three reference calls a year. That's, that's a very formal way to go about it. And with certain companies, um, especially the larger the organization, that can work well. Um, but I also believe it goes back to taking care, like, like genuinely taking care of the customers that you do have. And, and normally when you do that, they'll be willing to, to take the time to do that for you. I love that approach. Yeah. From formal to, to casual. Uh, and Hey, if you're dropping off lunch at people's houses, they're going to remember yeah. that and they're going to say That's later, right. you know what? Happy to do that reference call. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Laura's take on using social proof was too good not to dive into. For this data breakout, I'm going to share some Gong Labs data and what we've learned about using social proof in sales. A little background on the data itself, we analyzed 46,006 B2B sales deals and the web conferencing meetings within them, all captured in Gong's revenue intelligence platform. And we specifically looked at how social proof is used and its impact on close rates. I should warn you, the results are surprising. 
Sellers who use social proof techniques in their sales calls have a 22% lower close rate. But social proof is a tried and true tactic. So what gives? It's pretty simple. Social proof is spectacularly misapplied in sales. Here's what I mean. Social proof only works if it draws your buyer into a group that you're describing, i.e. your clients. For example, if you're selling to an SMB company, you don't want to list Google, Facebook, and Amazon as your clients. That's because your buyer hears this and thinks, this product is for people like that, but I'm like this. This isn't for me. And so what you've done is actually alienated your buyer and pushed them away from your solution. That's why social proof often backfires. More on how to avoid this for your sales approach in the micro action after the interview. Oftentimes with especially disruptive technology, people have never bought it before. They don't even know how to buy. <laughs> so yeah. you've got to like educate them. And it's, it's like, I can listen to myself until I'm blue in the face, but if they, if they hear about it from a customer, here's how I sold it to my board. Here's how I sold it to my CEO right? Hey, would you like to leverage these slides I built? And right, I mean, th there's a yeah. lot of back and forth. And many of the people we were selling to at Google, um, a lot of times it was the C CIO and oftentimes CEO. It, these were big decisions that influenced the entire company. Um, they, they had relationships, right? So all the other thing you were doing is you're enhancing their network. It's kind of win, win, win. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's get into the current environment a little bit more. Um, would love to hear how your initiatives and some of your priorities have changed uh, due to the current pandemic. You know, earlier, when we were earlier on, um, we did a number of very specific things. And I, I, I actually put a paper out on LinkedIn about it. And it's funny, I went back the other day and I was like, okay, did I get it right? Right? Are we still, what, am I still focused on those things? Have they shifted again? And I have to say, I'm, I'm still quite focused on the same things. And um, it, it's, it's a number of them. The, the first one is really ensuring that, that we're building pipeline so that later in the year, when things begin to come back to whatever this new normal will be, that we've established relationships with our customers, that we've identified pain points and how Unity brings unique value to solving those pain points. So we've done that work. We've got a, I, I'm really proud of the work my team has done on that. Um, the second thing we did is an outreach campaign and, and maybe I'll call my like bring lunch to your customer kind of part two of that. I asked the team to go and just call their customers, call, call every customer they were assigned and just check in, genuinely check in. And I feel grateful to be at a company where that check-in is genuine. We have great relationships. Um, and, and what we wanted to do with that, we had a specific set of questions we were asking to try and identify some trends of what people were going through. Um, specific to our gaming customers, very early on, they were having a tough time getting used to working from home because they work with giant assets, right? In games, you, you create really large assets. And when you're working inside of the organization, those are typically inside your infrastructure. Well, now you have to find ways to get them to your home environment. So that was a pain point that we found very early on that we were actually able to help with. So we wanted to do that. Um, and, and I do, I think it made a huge, huge impact on just ensuring that, that we were still clearly helping customers um, solve challenges, which is, which is a big deal to us. Um, so, so those were two things. The other thing was really doing, I said, normally I'm like not for doing a lot of meetings, 
but I do think meeting right now is really important. And so the, the addition that I have to those priorities has been individual skip level spending, uh, skip level one-on-ones with your team or skip, skip level one-on-ones with your team to ensure you've really, you are, have a real understanding for what people are going through and then being able to balance what people are going through with the fact that you got to go hit quarterly targets because in the end the best thing i can do for the company is try to hit targets so that everybody feels secure so i'm, I'm kind of calling this like my safety quarter if, if i can deliver on this quarter i can help people feel safe and i feel like that's the best thing as a leader i can do right now but it's a really fine line and, and my leadership team and i talk about it every chance we get how do you balance empathy with pushing people to deliver on what they need to deliver on. Um, mm. So it, and it's a constant back and forth. And some days I wake up and I just feel like I can't, I can't push anyone anymore. And other days I wake up and I feel like, you know what? We are so lucky to be in the industry that we're in. People are home playing games. You might be able to hear my son in the background right now. Um, and, and we've got to keep on keeping on. So uh, just keeping a pulse. I Completely. I wasn't sure if that was your son or Sheena's, but he, he's welcome. And he's clearly having a blast back <laughs> oh there. So I'm, I'm totally, totally fine there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, um, I did read your article, Lord, before, uh, before today's session uh, to prep. And I, I really enjoyed it, uh, honestly. And the one I liked a lot was number three, fostering internal and external enablement in education. Yes. You talked about giving some free online classes uh, via yeah. Unity. And the thing I really liked was internally, you said that you're doing a 60 minute segment on the unity solution every week. Yep. Now, I'm curious if that was happening before, um, you know, before COVID or if it's something you added afterwards. Now it, it was happening before COVID, but not at this clip. So we've made a number of acquisitions and partially, I think it's sort of the perfect storm, right? You're, you're <clears throat> you have more time, um, because right. you're at home. Um, we've, built out a really phenomenal enablement team. I've got to give props to Samantha and Jacob. Um, and we've made all these acquisitions. And so there's all of these new products to learn. So we went from even once a week, we typically are doing sessions twice a week. Um, we've been able to, we've had the time to revamp to ensure that the way that we are messaging um, that content is based upon customer pain points, right? Going back to that, theme of really listening to the customer. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we've invested heavily in enablement with these teams. There's a time that you kind of need to be distracted or just something positive yeah. to put your mind on. Right. And I think you're right. It's yeah. like a perfect storm is like, there's a silver lining to everything. If now is a great time to, you know, double down on enablement or you kind of have that focus that you might not have had previously to, to do an hour long session every week. Uh, I thought that was awesome. and something that, uh, um, you know, I try to do it with my team as well. I just try to find things we can work on either individually or as a team, just to give them something yep. to kind of progress, hit little, you know, little milestones and keep that momentum going for themselves. The, the other thing we're doing too, is we've hired a lot of people during this pandemic. Um, I think I've got 25 people on my team that are new, never been to a unity office, oh, wow. which is a shame because the unity offices are so incredible. Um, but it's, it's, been interesting. So I'm doing a new hire, um, just get together the first of July, just to check in on all these people. Right. I mean, can you imagine mm -hmm. starting a new job, um, during this and, and they're doing 
really, really well, but I, I want to hear from them what they need. So again, that kind of skip level, staying really close to those individual contributors and, and making sure you, you're making them as efficient and I want people to be happy in their jobs and make sure they're getting what they need. Yeah, major props to anybody who has started at a company during this time period for your persistence and getting to know people in organization that you have never met in person before. It would be really tough and just hats off to you. And something that for all of us who are not in those shoes, but making sure that we're helping new employees to feel welcome during this time and doing that type of reach out ad hoc or scheduled um, is super important to make people feel like they're part of the organization. Absolutely. Are there any new pieces of data or any new metrics that you're specifically tracking or looking at um, during this time that you may not have been looking at as closely before? It could be related to enablement or uh, pipeline or anything else. Yeah, well, what I've been really focused on is ensuring that I'm not staying in just my own little world and that I'm reaching across to my peers in marketing as well as customer success and thinking about a leaky bucket. So for every new customer I bring on, if I lose one, you know, it doesn't feel like you're getting very far. So we've taken time during this pandemic to make sure that we've got every customer covered by, whether it's customer success in a programmatic approach to make sure that our online customers are renewing and have what they need and having a great experience, versus my SDR team, what are they calling on versus my corporate inside sales team versus the field. Like I've just gone back and really dug into that data to make sure we're not missing anything Um, because churn is, is doesn't help anyone right now. Anything tactical that you put in place from uh, kind of looking at the data and diving in? Um, More detailed on loss reports in Salesforce. We just upgraded Salesforce. um, It went to Lightning Salesforce and we just implemented Clary. So we're also doing a lot of backend um, systems upgrades, which is making us much, much smarter. Um, I'm looking a lot at opportunities that are, at Google, we call them stuck opportunities, but opportunities that are staying in the same state for a long period of time and trying to figure out why that is. Um, is it COVID? Is it that a project got delayed? Is it like what's happening? Cause I figured that'll give me some data um, maybe on a more macro level as well. Um, and, and just, you know, one of the thing I, one of the mistakes I see sales leaders make, and I've promised myself that I wouldn't make this mistake. And I'm trying to hold very true to this is not just understanding, you know, it's easy to go and go, go, go we had a great quarter, but understanding how each individual did um, because that gives you a, a, that gives you a heartbeat of your organization as well. And I've been in organizations where one person or, you know, a small subset of people are knocking it out of the park and everybody's celebrating and life is grand. It's fine, but, but it's not going to tell you what you actually need to do within your organization to get better. Right. So understanding things at both the macro, but also the micro level individual rep by rep, who's hitting, who's not, why is that? What can we do to make this better? So any, any metric that will help me draw those conclusions is something that I take time to look at as well. So it seems like to 
survive and thrive in this environment, especially as a leader, you need to be able to have that macro level, but then also dive deep into the micro and the nuances and the details, um, which may not have been as critical before for every organization. Absolutely. When things are going well, people seem to be just fine with the macro. It's not yeah. until things get tricky, you dig into the micro. And and I, I challenge myself all the time, always go to the micro, always go to the micro. And I have some great people that I'm teamed up with that really helped me do that. So one individual, uh, his name is Nish, and he joined the Unity team about six months ago. And he's just been, I mean, he makes me that much smarter. So my other advice to sales leads out there is if make sure you have someone that is just amazing with data and, and analyzing that data and um, you'll be in a much stronger position. Thank you, Nish. <laughs> That's terrific. Well, Laura, I think it's been, um, you know, really great talking about competing as an underdog and some of the changes that you've experienced during the pandemic. Maybe we can shift into some of our final wrap up questions now. Devin, I'll hand it off to you. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, so given our conversation today, you had a lot of tactical advice that's both relevant, I'll call it evergreen advice and specific to now. If you're going to give a piece of advice to sales leaders leading today, what would that piece of advice be? Be yourself and push your ego to the side. Um, my, my theme for this year is seek first to understand really, really just, just listen and, uh, and try to take in what people are, are telling you. Don't, don't get lost. Don't lose that. And one thing we love to ask all of our leaders that come on the show is how would you describe sales in one word? <sighs> oh, I was wondering if you were going to ask me this one, Sheena. Uh, <laughs> We have in to. one word, in one word, problem solving. That's two words. I get it. But you know, they kind of go together. Yeah. You can put a hyphen <laughs> in and, and it's kind of one word. <laughs> also, just break the rules if it is two words. Who cares? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I look, I, I think as, a, as an individual contributor, no matter what role you're in, if you focus on helping people solve problems, your customers you're doing things right. And if you're a leader, that problem solving is going to extend to all the things that go on internally inside the company. And if you, if you keep a focus on always coming at it from a problem solving mindset, um, whether it's with your customer or internal, you'll be in really good shape. Well, thank you again so much for joining us on this episode today. Uh, we wish you a wonderful um, end of quarter and we are definitely looking forward to seeing some unicorn photos soon absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> thanks so much laura thank you i appreciate you having me on all right for this week's micro action we're going to dive right back into social proof and as promised share two techniques that'll help you make sure that you're using social proof effectively in your sales process so the first technique is you want to create FOMO. And by that, I mean, you want to describe a group that's four, five, six clients deep. And so you're creating a group of people that is large and that your buyer can relate to. So that means you want to list specific characteristics of this group that will make your buyer lean in. Things like geography, are they an international company? Maybe some direct competitors that solve the same problem. What that will do is give your buyer some FOMO thinking, hey, if all these people who are just like me are doing it, maybe I should too. The second technique is you want to tell a story specifically around a problem that resonates with your buyer. 
Because here's the thing, if you can describe the buyer's problem better than they can themselves, they will automatically assume that you have the best solution. The best way to do that is to make sure that your buyer feels connected to the story, specifically the protagonist or the person whose problem you're solving, aligning with the ways that they've tried to solve that problem themselves and how you and your company have helped solve their problem. This will help them lean in and really start to show interest in your product because they believe that you have the best solution. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.